question to the Prime Minister. Brian Donohoe. Go, Brian. Number one, uh, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, I've been asked to reply. As the House will be aware, my right honourable friend, the Prime Minister, is in Iraq today. He'll make a statement to the House on his return. Mr. Speaker, I'm sure the whole House will wish to join me in sending our profound condolences to the family and friends of Lieutenant Aaron Lewis, 29 Commando Royal Artillery, who was killed in Afghanistan on Monday. To those who never shy away from danger and who never shirk from their duty, and to the families who will be apart from our troops this Christmas, to those who died in the service of their country, we owe an enormous debt of gratitude. I thank uh, my right honourable friend, and may I associate myself with condolences that she has made. At a time that the price of oil, the price of a barrel of oil, has sunk like a stone, why is it that the energy companies are charging the price that they are for fuel? Surely it's time more for, for more to be done by the government and by those associated with us in bringing down the price so that, and will she give me an assurance that she can make it possible for me to go back to my constituency and give the assurance that the government is doing all they can to bring about the lower prices and energy. I absolutely agree with my honourable friend. The energy companies must pass on uh, the price cuts to consumers, both businesses and families, and they must also treat all consumers fairly. And if they don't, it won't just be Ofgem and the Competition Commission they'll have to worry about. We will change the law to force them to do it. Mr. Speaker, I join the Leader of the House in paying tribute to Lieutenant Aaron Lewis, who was killed in Afghanistan on Monday, and as she has said, our thoughts are with his family at this desperately sad time. Uh, we look forward to the Prime Minister's statement tomorrow about the withdrawal of British troops from Iraq, although we were surprised that since this news relating to national security was leaked by the Government last week, no one has since been arrested <laughs> across the House. Across the House, Mr. Speaker, we salute the work of the British forces in Iraq. They will have been there for longer than six years, a deployment longer than the entire Second World War. And as we welcome the end of this deployment, isn't it now finally time for the Government to establish what the whole nation expects to see, a full-scale independent inquiry into the origins and conduct of the war? I would agree with him on his supportive words for the work of our troops in Iraq. Um, the, we've had a number of inquiries into Iraq, and the Prime Minister has said that there will be no further inquiries until our troops are all returning home. And the Prime Minister will make a further statement to this House tomorrow. Uh, well, Mr. Speaker, the troops are now going to be returning home, and it is time for this announcement to be made. The Government have delayed for years the establishment of an inquiry, and now the learning of lessons that may be relevant to Afghanistan and elsewhere can no longer be delayed. New figures this morning, Mr. Speaker, show a further rise in unemployment of 137,000. It's now at the highest level for 10 years and is obviously set to rise further. We've been pointing out that the big problem is even viable businesses can't get the loans they need. Uh, last week, we asked the Government to look again at the bank rescue package, and the Chancellor did announce on Monday one of the measures we have been calling for. But will the Government now accept the urgent need to get money into the hands of the businesses of this country? 
I do want to reinforce to the honourable, right honourable gentleman that there is no delay in an inquiry. We have made it clear that whilst our troops are still in Iraq, which they are doing their duties, that we will not have a full inquiry on how they went in until after they return. And I think we have to respect the fact that our fighting forces are still in Iraq. There is no delay. As far as unemployment is concerned, any time anyone loses their job, that is a terrible blow for them. And that is why we are stepping up government action with a £1.3 billion package to protect people who become unemployed, to help them get the skills to get new jobs, and also to make sure that if they become unemployed, they don't lose their home. So we are stepping up government action on that. And he's right that small businesses are the lifeblood of enterprise and employment in this country. And that is why we recapitalise the banks to stabilise the banking system. And that's why in January we will be setting up a new small business loan guarantee scheme. It is true to say that whilst it is true to, true to say that whilst lending figures are starting to show increasing lending to small businesses, there are still businesses having problems. That's why the National Lending Panel has been established. But, Mr Speaker, things are actually getting harder for households and businesses who want to borrow at the moment, not easier. This country has now been in recession for six months. A leading minister said this week we are facing a recession deeper than any that we have known. Is it not now clear that the government's policies have failed so far, that people are losing their jobs by the hour, that the small business guarantee scheme she referred to covers only one-fifth of one percent of business loans? And don't we now need a national loan guarantee scheme of the kind we have advocated before more businesses go to the wall and many more tens of of thousands of people are made unemployed. We are taking action to protect people who become unemployed. Does he back, does his party back the £1.3 billion extra we are putting into job centres? No, they've said they'll cut public spending. And they opposed our action to recapitalise the banks. As far as unemployment is concerned, I, we agree. We agree that for every individual who loses jo their job, that is a terrible blow for them. And that's why we are taking the action necessary, despite the fact that unemployment is still about 600,000 lower than it was when we first came into office. And as far as their so-called national loan guarantee scheme, it's not a guarantee of anybody to anything, because if it's backed up by no public money, it is not worth the paper it's press released on. Mr Speaker, the, this side of the House did not oppose the recapitalisation of the bank. So let us put that straight. And of the, of the measures announced to help unemployed people today, which is £158 million, will she confirm that £58 million is being taken from another programme already supposed to help train people. And the other £100 million is exactly what she announced two months ago, the last time she and I did Prime Minister's questions, which itself had been announced before. So this is a re-announcement of a re-announcement. At Christmas time, we're not just meant to get repeats, and that is all we're getting from the government today. The, the Governor of the Bank of England himself has said 
that there has been a further tightening in the supply of credit to households and businesses, which is likely to continue. He said on Monday additional measures will probably be required to underpin lending to households. This House is not going to be sitting for nearly a month. How many more people are going to lose their jobs while the government dithers about introducing this scheme? Why doesn't she tell the Chancellor to pull his finger out and introduce it? But they would not back the £1.3 billion extra money that we're putting in job centres to help people with retraining, to help with job advice, and crucially, the money that we're putting in to back people up if they become unemployed so they don't fear that they should lose their home. And not only are they failing to back the action that we're taking to support people who become unemployed, but they announced last week a policy which would make matters worse because they said that at this crucial time they would cut public spending. And if they, if they cut vital public investment, that would be devastating for the construction industry and for jobs and the infrastructure of our com country. So what they've done is they've said firstly no action and now they're suggesting action which would make matters even worse. We are calling on the government to take action. This is a say anything, spin anything, achieve nothing government and we are calling on them to take action. The Director-General of the CBI said getting the credit markets working properly is much more important than a fiscal boost. And the CBI's survey of distributive trades released in the last hour, which is the key indicator of activity in the retail sector, including the 10 days after the VAT cut, shows the worst downturn in retail activity since records began. A massive thumbs down from the consumer. So isn't it time for the government to concede that that reduction, that temporary reduction in VAT, universally derided at home and abroad, has not been the answer, and getting credit moving to the businesses of the country would be part of the answer to this recession? Yeah. I think there's two responses that we should have to the very difficult economic circumstances. The first is not to talk down confidence and not to talk down the economy. And the second is as well as having interest rates cuts to ensure that we have a fiscal boost to the economy. And since we're talking about retail, that's why we are taking forward a cut in VAT and urge him to vote for it. That's why we are bringing forward extra cash help to pensioners from the beginning of next year. That's why we're bringing forward extra child benefit to put more money in people's pockets and actually to uh, have a tax rebate to help 22 million people. So we would take the action whilst all they do is carp and criticise. And I say to the right honourable gentleman to face these big economic circumstances and say it's only down to interest rates cuts and we would put no extra money in the economy, that would make a different circumstance into a disaster. Mr. Speaker, what we're calling on the government to do is to get the money to the businesses of the country. And we cannot have lectures about talking down confidence from a cabinet, one of whose members said this week that we are facing a recession deeper than any we have ever known. What is that if it's not talking down confidence? This, conf this country has been in recession for six months. The government has achieved nothing except to let unemployment get worse and debt go up. 
We now have soaring unemployment, rocketing debt, good businesses going to the wall, heavy tax rises on the way. If this is the Prime Minister saving the world, God help us when he moves on to the rest of the solar system. And how many people, how many people are going to have to lose their jobs before the Prime Minister justifiably loses his own? Well, we'd rather have... We'd rather have Superman leading our party than have a party led by a joker. And when it comes to when it comes to when it comes to leadership, when it comes to party when it comes to when it comes to party leadership. I think the Leader of the House wishes to continue. The Leader of the House. When it comes to party leadership, um, I happen to be having a look at the Right Honourable Gentleman's website, and I suggest other Honourable Members look at it. On williamhague.org.uk, it just says, William Hague, Leader of the Conservative Party. unprecedented economic circumstances. There are uncharted waters ahead, there is economic uncertainty, but one thing that I want everybody to be in no uncertainty about, for there to be no doubt about, that we will take the action necessary to stabilise the economy, to support small business, the action necessary to support jobs, to protect people against repossession. Unlike the party opposite, who simply says no action and then proposes a bogus scheme, we will never say unemployment is a price worth paying. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Last Sunday marked 90 years since women first voted in UK elections on the 14th of December 1918. Will my right honourable friend ask the Prime Minister to join us at the new permanent exhibition on the suffragette struggle off the central lobby and so give a lead to other honourable members to take their constituents and visitors, particularly school parties, and stress to young women the importance of exercising their hard-won democratic right to vote? I will recommend my honourable friend's request to the Prime Minister and I congratulate her for the work that she's done to bring in this exhibition to the House. The important thing is not only to have more women in this House of Commons, but that we not only change the face, but change the agenda of the House of Commons. And that's what we've done with new Sure Start centres, with maternity pay and leave, with new laws to tackle domestic violence. She's part of making sure that we deliver for women in this country. We're not complacent. There's more to be done. Dr Mr Speaker, can I add my condolences to the family of the brave servicemen who died in Afghanistan? Uh, when the Leader of the House last stood in at Prime Minister's questions, I asked her about the vicious spiral that was developing in the economy with rising unemployment and a collapsing housing sector. Since then, it's been confirmed that housing starts this year are at the lowest level since Ramsay MacDonald led a Labour administration in 1924. And... Uh, <laughs> 
Wilder. Honourable members opposite ought to remember because they're in danger of repeating that history. And she may not be aware either that a few days ago the regulator of the housing associations warned that six of the leading associations are in grave financial difficulty and in danger of collapse. What is the government proposing to do about it? very concerned about the housing situation and that's why we're going to bring forward capital investment rather than cut it or postpone it. We're going to be backing up the housing corporation and for those people who fear that a temporary fall in their income will cause them to risk losing their home, we're making arrangements for them to be able to defer their mortgage interest payments and for those who lose their job, they won't have to wait 39 weeks to get their mortgage interest paid, they'll be able to get it paid after 30 weeks. We're very concerned about housing and we'll do everything we can to protect the housing market. Basically complacent answer. Does the Minister not realise the investment isn't happening because the housing associations are bust and the Treasury is imposing a crippling funding formula on the association and the housing repossession policy is reaching less than one in ten of people in housing arrears. Will she now give the same attention to the financial crisis in the housing associations that the government is giving to the banks. Will she tell us which of them are in grave difficulty, what the government is going to do to rescue them, and ensure that the public sector can play a role in kick-starting a moribund housing activity? The public sector, we agree with him, does have an important role to play in capital investment in the construction industry in the housing market. One of the reasons why we took the action we have taken on the banks is so that the banks can be in a position to start lending again into the mortgage market and to stabilise the housing market for the future. Recently, a small group of people with learning disabilities and their support workers went to a karaoke night at the Bull and Butcher Club, Whetstone. The manager was hostile, made clear he didn't want them there, and harassed them till they left in distress. Would my white honourable friend agree that such an appalling case of discrimination and infringement of human rights demonstrates the need for both the UN Disability Rights Commission and the Human Rights Act, and to build on its protections, not repeal it as the other party would do? Well, I agree with my honourable friend that discrimination against anyone is unacceptable and discrimination against disabled people has no place in our modern society. And he's right to bring this to the attention of the House. I know as an avid champion of human rights he will make sure justice is done for his constituency and I can confirm to him that we remain proud of the Human Rights Act and we stand by it. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Many pensioners will bear the brunt of this recession, but with interest rates heading towards zero, will she do something to tackle the nonsense whereby pensioners are assumed to earn 10% on their savings when it comes to calculating their entitlement to benefit? We are paying extra money to pensioners with an extra Christmas bonus. Well, I, I think that the extra winter fuel payment is important, the extra Christmas bonus is important, bringing forward the increase in the state retirement pension to the beginning of the year is important, and I would say, whilst we're in no way complacent about people's income in retirement, the single group of people who have benefited most in terms of their increased standard of living since Labour came into government has been pensioners, and particular single older pensioners. What a muffin. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. What
what does my right honourable friend think of the decision of Crawley Borough Council, Conservative-controlled authority, to reject the free swimming offer for young and older people? With the Olympics looming and with a focus on health and well-being, does she believe that this is a wrong decision? Santa won't be coming to Crawley this year. I think that's just another example of how the Tories don't believe in public services, even important public services. They should be jumping at the chance of the free swimming, which is not only important for people of all ages, it's important not only for leisure but for public health. And I hope Crawley Council will take her advice and think again. Mr Speaker, given that it's over seven years since the troops have been in Afghanistan, and looking at the current situation, including the deeply entrenched uh, forces of the, of the um, around Kabul, um, would the, uh, would the, uh, deputy, uh, the Leader of the House care to speculate on whether the uh, military battle is being won? And crucially, when does she anticipate that the all-important battle for hearts and minds will commence? We've always said that it's a development strategy, it's a political strategy, and it's also a military strategy. And in that military strategy, as well as paying tribute to our troops fighting in the most dangerous circumstances in Helmand province, we recognise that this is a, a, a multi... Uh, uh, this is a multinational force which is operating in Afghanistan, and of course we recognise the political and developmental strategy as well as the military one. Brian Jenkins. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. May I ask my right honourable friend, the Leader of the House, to pass on my thanks, the thanks of many in this House, the thanks of many in our country, to everyone involved with last week's announcement on the regrading and upgrading of the Armed Forces Compensation Scheme. She will realise this will mean a massive difference to the quality of life for these service personnel and their families. But is she, can she assure me that everything is being done with regard to the fixtures and adaptions that service personnel need when they return home from rehabilitation to make it a smooth transition? Well, I would support his welcome for the increase in compensation for those who've suffered injuries um, in service to their country, an increase up to £590,000, and also to say that it's going to be backdated to those who've been injured since 2005, and instead of waiting for them to contact the compensation scheme, uh, they will be contacted for their, uh, for their compensation level to be reviewed. He mentions the important question of adaptation, and those who are returning home will have high priority for adaptations in their own home. Mark Pritchard. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This week, the government abandoned its plans and inquiry into the use of uh, snatch land rovers in Afghanistan and Iraq. Given the increasing number of IED attacks, why is the government still unprepared to give our armed forces the level of protection they need, they want, and they deserve? Yeah. We are committed to doing exactly that. And the Secretary of State for Defence has said that he will listen to and be advised by the military chiefs so that they have the full range of equipment that they need to support our troops in the field. Morgan. Uh, 
Um, thank you, Mr. Speaker. Uh, many of my constituents in Cardiff North have benefited from the opportunities to work flexibly that have been introduced by this government. The government that has recognised the stresses and strains of bringing up a family and having to go out to work, which has not always been recognised by the party opposite. Um, will um, the Leader of the House tell us when this opportunity will be more widely extended and what will be the timetable of doing that? Well, I pay tribute to my honourable friend who has long championed the cause of families and also pressed for supporting families who are juggling going out to work, bringing up their children, but also caring for older relatives. And people want to be able to earn a living and support their families, and that's why we introduced a right to flexible working, which unfortunately the opposition opposed, for families with children up to the age of six. And I can confirm to my honourable friend that as from April, we will be increasing that right to request flexible working for all families with children up to the age of 16. Arrangements for the improvement of the Governance National Audit Office were to have been included in the constitutional renewal bill, but since the future of that legislation is currently unclear, does she agree with uh, her right honourable friend, the member for Swansea West, who has written to the Prime Minister about this, that it might be simpler and more sensible to have a separate standalone bill to make sure that the future of the National Audit Office is safeguarded? Will she talk to the Prime Minister about this and also to herself in her capacity as Leader of the House? I agree with the Honourable Member about the important work of the National Audit Office. He will know that in the Queen's speech we said uh, we will be continuing discussions and considerations about how we improve and modernise the Constitution. Dr Nick Palmer. Some years ago I was able to persuade the then Minister to refuse support for a damaging open-cast mining project in my constituency in Cossel. Uh, the constituents there were extremely pleased with this change of policy and the Conservative policy of doing nothing and letting it happen. However, I wanted to ask my honourable friend, does it remain Labour government policy to refuse support for open cast mining where it would have disproportionate impact on the environment? Um, I can reassure my honourable friend that there's been no policy change on open cast mining and I'm sure that he will be able to pass that message on to his constituents who will be continued to be happy with his work as their MP. In his speech to the Labour Party conference in 1996, the Prime Minister said, we will not build a new Jerusalem on a mountain of debt. Why has the government changed its mind? Well, one of the biggest uh, misapprehensions, Mr. Speaker, one of the biggest misapprehensions that the opposition have been peddling is the question of debt, and I really do want to address this. When we came into government, when we came into government, our debt as a percentage of GDP on the IMF figures was 43 percent. And we paid that off year by year by year to take it down to 37%. And yes, we do acknowledge that now we need debt to rise, and we don't resile from that. Because if debt is not allowed to rise to do the action that is necessary to back up the economy, then there will be even more debt in the longer term with the bills for failure and for unemployment benefit. And how his party can put forward a so-called national loan guarantee scheme and at the same time say that they would cut public spending and not allow debt to rise, it simply does not add up. So, 
David Crosby. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Uh, will my right honourable friend ensure that pressure is exerted on private water companies who are imposing new surface water charges uh, on churches just as if they were businesses? Because if these companies are not prevented from applying these unfair charges, which amount to thousands of pounds uh, per church, they will be responsible for the closure of places of worship right across England and Wales. And right. um, my honourable friend raises something which has been raised by a number of honourable members and has indeed been raised with the church commissioners. Uh, I know that my right honourable friend, the Secretary of State for DEFRA, is reviewing the situation and I will ask him to write to the honourable member as well as to the church commissioners. John Leach. Mr Speaker, in West Didsbury, Lancasterian School is to lose its secondary provision and Ewing School, which has won awards for inclusion, is earmarked for closure. These schools provide top quality teaching and, le uh, teaching and learning uh, for children with physical incapacities and speech and language disorders who can't be educated in the mainstream. Will the Leader of the House join parents, teachers, local residents and me in uh, urging the Council to reject these unpopular and unnecessary plans? The question of local school organisation is a matter for the local education authority, but I will draw his comments to the attention of the Secretary of State, and I hope he will welcome the fact that in his area there has been a very big investment in teaching and in school buildings. Evening, Billy. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Uh, the Building Schools for the Future programme is vital for improving the educational prospects of young people in my constituency but also vital for sustaining and maintaining the construction industry at what is a very difficult time. Can my right honourable friend tell me what steps are being taken to accelerate this programme? Well, I think my honourable friend makes an absolutely fundamental point that the refurbishment and rebuilding of schools is not in, only important for education, but it's absolutely vital to keep jobs flowing in the construction industry. And to cut back on building schools for the future now would not only deprive local communities of the improved schools, but be a devastating blow to the construction industry. And that's why, far from doing that, we will actually bring it forward. Order. 